I'll give you quick greetings from Boston. I promised the people upstairs that I would not preach forever because there's a couple of hundred kids running around up there right now. Uh, so we just greet you warmly. It's a delight to be given an opportunity to just be with you, to hear from you, and then to be invited into this sacred time to, to speak to you as we give our attention to the Lord is a thrill. I hope that everyone in here who's a part of Seven Mile Road Philly is doing everything in your power to fight for unity and purity and humility and generosity and love in the life of your church. And just give yourself to that. We minister out of great weakness, but the Lord shows up when we say, look, we'll be available, use us. And then he just blows your mind with what he'll do to you. So I, I pray that that's been the posture of your heart. There's some good things happening in Boston, some hard things, and we are trying to give clear and compelling witness to the, the grace and the beauty of Christ to the people that we are sent to. And I know you're going for the same thing down here, so that's a huge joy. Pray for Grace and I. We've got three teenagers. Man, that's a bunch of work. Um, and our church is dramatically different than the original church that we had that we had built um, so we're good and adjusting and the Lord is disciplining us and making nothing of us so that he might make something big of of himself and that's so great to be invited into for our souls as well all right I'm going to preach to you from the text that was just read we're preaching through the biblical book of Hero, uh, Hebrews up in Boston we're calling the series Jesus Seriously, Jesus, no, seriously, uh, Boston is a post-Christian city, and the response to Jesus is disinterest or disdain or hostility or, I mean, are you serious? You're going you're gonna to give me the Jesus thing right now? And our response is, yes, because Jesus is unmatched, unrivaled, incomparable, in his glory and his beauty and his grace. And we're going to stick close to the shore of Christ. Jesus, seriously. Hopefully in this sermon you'll get a little taste of what that feels like. I want to frame it with a conversation with you about heroes. Think with me about your heroes. Specifically your gospel heroes. If this was a gospel community, we could go around the room and everyone could say, well, my big gospel hero is so-and-so. We can't do that here, so just get their names and their faces in your mind. These are my gospel heroes. Here's what we talk about in Boston trying to go for on that topic. It's this up here. The right heroes rightly embraced. The right heroes rightly embraced. That's my big idea I want to leave with you and see how Christ emerges in that conversation. All right, so there's three parts to this sentence up here. The right heroes rightly embraced. Let's work those together. You should have heroes. If you did not immediately have some names come to mind with my first question, just flooding your, the front of your brain, their names and their faces, um, something's wrong. And I mean you should have both biblical heroes jumping off the pages of Scripture and historical heroes who have blazed the trail before us in following Christ. So here's what I mean. If you had said that to me, 
I could immediately, without looking at any notes, rattle off some names. Like Joseph, absolutely my sexual purity hero. This young man at the height of his youth was serving in a home, and the wife in that home closed the doors, came to him, made herself available to him, and said, I want to be with you now. And Joseph turned and ran, would not sin against this woman, against her husband, against the Lord, and ran. That's a gospel hero. If you ask me to talk about my pastoral hero, I would talk to you about the Apostle Paul. His speech in Acts 20 has been so formative on my soul as a pastor, and I could walk you through all the reasons that I say there is something to emulate in the way that he loved and led his people. Mary is a massive hero of mine. That might strike you as odd, but think of this teenage girl about to marry a godly husband and begin a beautiful life, and the angel comes and says, all of that is over. You're going to be with child out of wedlock, and you're going to carry and mother a son who will be crucified on a cross. Your whole life is finished, Mary. What do you say? And Mary says, let it be to me according to your word. Which of us would take a visit from the Lord today and tell us all those hopes and dreams and the plans that you had are finished because I need you to serve me this way and it's cost you everything? And we go, amen. Nehemiah is my church planting hero. This brother got word back that the city of God, the people of God, the church of God was in disarray. And you know what he did when he heard that, that, that the city of God was a broken down embarrassment? He wept and he prayed for days. Then he went to his boss and took a huge risk and said, I need to go back and I need to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And for years, him and his men have a sword in one hand and a shovel in the other, and they build the church of God. Has any American pastor responded that way to the state of the church in our country? Weeping and then saying, let's go build and fight. I could keep going with you. Do you feel that? Gospel heroes. And not just gospel heroes off the pages of Scripture, but if you said, tell me about your other heroes after the Bible. We could talk about that. John Knox, this is the Reformation month, huge hero of mine. When they came to him and said, John, you need to pastor us. Do you know how John responded? He didn't say, of course you asked me. I'd be such a great choice. I'm such a good speaker, and I have such a great theological mind. You know what John Knox did? John Knox, he ran weeping from the meeting and locked himself in the basement of the castle that they were in and said, there's no possible way that I'm qualified to do this work. There's a gospel hero. His, the great cry of his life was, give me Scotland or I die. Anybody pray, believe, and live like that for Philadelphia. You gotta give us Philly or we die. He's a hero. John Bunyan, author of Pilgrim's Progress, is a huge gospel hero of mine. 
He did not come to faith easily. It was this brutal, long-term struggle with unbelief and sin before finally he gives his life to Christ. Do you know that this brother would not preach the gospel, allowed himself to be imprisoned for 12 years because they said, John, you can preach, but you need a license from us. And John said, I would rather be silent in prison than have government tell me what I can and can't say in the pulpit. Twelve years, John Bunyan in prison, speechless, because he refused to allow anyone to edit or filter the gospel of Christ. Okay, I could keep going. <laughs> we should have gospel heroes. Scripture compels us toward this. In the book of Hebrews, multiple times it says, look at your leaders, think of those who have gone before you, and emulate Imitate them. Gospel heroes broaden your vision for what the Lord can do in your life. It helps you see that others in other times have struggled with the same junk that you struggled with, and the Lord has brought them through. It puts steel in your back to serve God when you see what he accomplished through them. We must have heroes. And not just any heroes, but the right heroes. The right heroes. Heroes who drive you to embrace and love and trust in Christ. All of American culture right now is built to drive you, especially our children, toward embracing the wrong heroes. Who are our heroes in American culture? The ones with the most money, that's who I want to be like. The women with the best looks, that's my hero. Look how thin she is. Our great heroes in American culture right now are the ones who say, do not embrace the sexuality that the Lord has assigned to you. Do anything but that. And we make them our great heroes. The rebels, they are our heroes. Even in American culture, sometimes we find folks who have done great things. So I actually saw a good blog on CNN.com. And it was about the 10 best American heroes from 2016. And each of them had done something beautiful for the good of others. Other men, other children, other uh, trees. There was an environmentalist on there. Other animals. There was a dog lover. But they had all sacrificed of themselves to do good in the world. And then the article stopped. And it did not drive to the ground for all doing of good in the world, which is the goodness of God and his common grace to us and the image of God that is on men and women and the worth of the earth that he has given us to steward, stopped short of Christ. We want heroes who are not only holy and good, but drive us to Jesus. They feared God. They took risks. They believed the gospel. They sacrificed for others. These are the heroes we are longing for. But then, hugely important, and last thing to set this up, they must be the right heroes, rightly embraced. It is epidemic throughout church history for people like you and I to take our gospel heroes too far and to conflate them with Christ or replace him with them. Historically, what stream of Christianity does this the best? 
or I should say the worst. So these would be our friends who are Roman Catholics. My wife is Sicilian, Italian, complete Roman Catholic family. Her last name is, her maiden name was, wait for it, Minica Pilli. So she's as Italian as it gets. And I went to St. Dominic Savio High School. So in tight relationship and deeply love many people who would say I'm Catholic. Uh, they are the worst at conflating gospel heroes with Christ. Uh, at the height of this, it's with the adoration of Mary. You already heard me say that Mary is absolutely a massive hero of ours and should be in the life of your church. But there is a conflation there. I worked with a woman for 15 years who I adored, and we would talk about spiritual things. Um, but if you had recorded our conversations and given them back to me, you would say, I'm not sure if she was more excited about Mary or Jesus. She would tell me things like, I am so close to Mary. But she didn't speak with those same affections about Christ. I taught at a Salesian High School up in Boston for a few years. And before the year would begin, they would gather the faculty and staff together to pray for the year, which I thought was fantastic. But in one of those prayer sessions, it was very interesting. They asked the, the Protestants to move outside the circle, and then the, the Catholics sat in a circle, and they prayed directly to Mary, and not just a few times, but 50 consecutive times, 50 back-to-back-to-back Hail Marys. One of the teachers there was pressing with me that I needed to see that Mary is the co-redemptrix, that there's Jesus, but Mary is just as essential beside him. Do you feel this? The conflation of a good gospel hero with Christ. Okay, it's not just that stream. Mormons do the same thing. You can go listen to a, a sermon given at Brigham Young University's Idaho campus last month, and you will hear a man preaching to those kids saying that Joseph Smith is right on par with, just as important as Jesus, actually said the words, Joseph Smith is the gate to salvation, and no one gets to salvation without going through Joseph Smith. That's a quote. That's also blasphemy. Jesus said, I am the gate. Do you see what's happening there? Okay. Now here's the, the shift. We do the same exact stuff. We are in danger of the same exact stuff. The church that I was brought to new birth at by the grace of God struggled with this. It wasn't quite clear whether it was Jesus or the pastor who was like most important in the life of the church. This was before the internet. People would call the church like on Tuesday, Wednesday and say, hey, who's preaching this Sunday? Is it so-and-so or not? And then they would make their weekend plans based on the answer. If he's preaching, I'll be there. But if, if it's like one of the JV guys, no, we'll, we'll go to the Cape this weekend. Do you feel that? The women in this church fawned over this man. So many people's Self-worth would rise and fall based upon whether or not he recognized them and spoke with them. He was the, the true savior of it revolved around him. That's no good. Even if you are a reformed Christian, you're in danger of this. 
So you know that this month is the 500th anniversary of Martin Luther nailing the 99 theses on the wall of the Wittenberg door. If you don't know about that, you can ask me about that later. It's, it's reformed 500 years, October 1517. I am getting emails every week, every day for 31 straight days to my inbox of heroes of the Reformation. And it's great to read their stories and see what the Lord did through them. But then the most important thing that came to my inbox was this, this tweet. And it said in capital letters, Jesus. And then it said, somehow in 140 characters, it said, bolder than Luther, more eloquent than Calvin, more feared than Knox, more theological than Owen, more earnest than Brainerd, more brilliant than Edwards, more evangelistic than Whitfield, and more dynamic than Spurgeon. And I said, yes, yes. In other words, that tweet was the right heroes, but rightly embraced. Okay, keep all that introduction in mind, and now we're going to go see this in the Bible, and I hope that it hits you really clearly. I'm going to put the verses up here so I can point to some words. Here's the words that were read before. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and the high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him, who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. Let's work those words together. I got a couple of blow-up sizes, so let's work the first one. Consider Jesus. There's the big idea. Consider means to focus in on, fix your eyes in, obsess over, get to know super deeply, be centered upon this thing, and the great joy of the Christian life, the great joy of the eternity that is coming, and the clear command of this verse is that you should be that way with Jesus. All in, primarily on Jesus. Then he drops this incredible double title for Jesus, and he says, he is the apostle and high priest of our confession. Tying these two titles together is breathtaking. The apostle is the one that comes from God to us to bring us truth and moves this way. The high priest is the one that represents us before God and moves us toward him. Jesus is both with capital letters. He is at the same time the one that has moved towards you with truth to deliver you from sin and also one that moves you toward the Father he is both at the same time. Wow. And then he moves to this statement here, and he says, here's how I can help these people feel it. He says to them, Jesus was faithful like Moses. Jesus was faithful like Moses. Okay, what happens as soon as he mentions the name Moses in this letter to this church? Ooh, they got all warm and fuzzy inside. Ah, this is like you talking with me. I'm from Boston, right? And you, you say, Cruz, let's talk quarterbacks. Let's talk about Tom Brady. Oh, what happens in my soul right there? It's just like warm and fuzzy, right? Or if you said, let's talk about some actors. Who's this guy, Mark Wahlberg? Oh, I just get so happy. I'm like, yes, Planet of the Apes, the shooter, the departed. Let's talk about Mark Wahlberg. Or if you said, let's talk about some politicians. Um, JFK, who was that again? 
I mean, John F. Kennedy is like Boston, Cambridge is, man. You, you feel the warmth in my soul when you mention Bostonian heroes? This is how they would have been as soon as they heard the word Moses. Why? This letter was written to the Hebrews, and Moses was their man. Like their pajamas screen printed, Moses is my homeboy. That's what they wore to bed. They were all in on Moses. And, hear me, rightfully so. Rightfully so. Moses is the greatest apostle, prophet of the older covenant without rival. Moses stood before the Lord after the people had sinned terribly, and he said, Jesus, uh, he said, Lord, if you're not going to forgive them, kill me too. It's no wonder they adored Moses, right? They had sinned, not him, but he loved them so deeply and was so committed to solidarity with the people of God that he said, I will trade my life for these people. No wonder they adored him. He has the most beautiful obituary in the Bible. It says that Moses was 120 years old when he died, and his eye was undimmed and his vigor unabated. Unbelievable. I'm just trying to get to like 46 with my vigor undimmed and unabated. A buck 20, and he was still ready to go for the people of God and the mission of God. Moses was a great hero, homeboy to have, as long as Moses was driving you to Christ. But these listeners, the Hebrews of this letter, were in danger of stopping with Moses, stopping with him, saying, you know what? We are Hebrews. We got Moses. We don't really need to move on to Jesus. The readers were attracted to Moses and to the revelation entrusted to him, and they were in danger of exalting Moses over Jesus. Do you feel that? Into that sentiment come the next words. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of the house has more honor than the house itself. In other words, big idea from those verses is this. He says to them, Jesus is greater than Moses. At this point in listening, they would have been tracking with him. And all of a sudden right here, er, the brakes come on and the fists come up when he gets to this statement. Has anybody in this room ever heard of LeVar Ball? I'm sorry, i got to do one basketball reference. Okay, so the guy's in the back like, yes. So he's this uh, crazy dad, but it's kind of awesome because he's a father. There's a father in America who loves his children. Whoa. But uh, he overinflates the, uh, the uh, uh, skill of his kids. Anyway, he goes on TV interview, and he's talking with another highly animated loud guy. So now we got two of them. And dad says to host... My boy LeVar is better than Steph Curry right now. And Steph Curry is a two-time MVP, perhaps the greatest shooter in NBA history. And then he doesn't stop and he says, he's going to be better than Magic Johnson was. And the co-host loses his mind and like throws his mic and they just get into this giant fight. How can you say that he's better 
than these guys. That would have been the way that this would have sounded to the Hebrews. Nobody is better than Moses. This is like you talking with me and saying, hey, Matt, Tom Brady's fine, but Donovan McNabb, now that was a quarterback. <laughs> what happens right there? My fists come up. Or, you know, like, Mark Wahlberg's all right, but, you know, Matthew McConaughey, oh, he's such a dream. Or you guys would be like, Stallone, Stallone. And then we fight. As good as Moses was, Jesus is better. Moses was solid, but Jesus is in a whole nother category. Do you feel the weight of that text of Scripture? Then he gives an analogy that's very helpful. He says it's like this. As much more glory that the builder of the house has than the house itself. You feel a categorical difference there? That's how much greater glory. So we live in Boston. We bought this house on a steep hill that was close to the place where we wanted to make disciples. And we said, Jesus, will live here forever if you'll have us do this. The problem was when we first bought the house, we had a newborn son. That was it. Then we had another baby and another baby and another baby. And like a 1,000 square feet of home gets a little bit crazy with six kids and the dad's a six foot three inch messy guy. So after some equity had built in the home, we said, we need to expand the size of our house at least a little bit so that we can uh, have other people over and have somewhere for them to sit and just function as a bigger family going forward on this gospel mission. So we did that. Everyone warned me, be careful. Contractors are liars and thieves and rats, and it's going to be awful, and you'll never be friends with the guy, and you got to, like, stick close to him. So at first, I took that advice, and I, I sat with him at our kitchen table. His name is Todd Protz from Lynn, Massachusetts. And I took a marker, and I wrote on a sheet of paper how much money I had for the project. I wrote it down, and I slid it over, and I said, Todd, that is how much money I have, and that is all the money that I have. Can you do it for that much or not? Because if you can't, walk away now. But I don't want to hear about any change orders. I thought we were going to have a combative relationship. We ended up being friends because he was an unbelievable contractor. And so now when I tell the story of my house, I could tell you about, you know, how we made it bigger and uh, how we got a second bathroom that the kids could use. But who do I usually end up talking about when I tell you the story of my house. <clears throat> I tell you about Todd. I mean, the house is just a house, but the guy who stepped in and saw the vision and made it happen, he is in a totally different category. Anybody know who Ty Pennington is? So he's the guy that does the show Extreme Makeovers. Just imagine a, a white guy, but with like a perfect head of hair. So he's like one of my superheroes. <laughs> In the age to come, I'm going to have Ty Pennington's hair, and I'm going to wear it different every week. <laughs> Mohawk, faux hawk, mullet, fold over, comb. I'm just going to do it for Ty Pennington. Nobody remembers any individual house that Ty Pennington redid. Maybe you remember the one with the slide or something. But if you watched the show for a year, you know who you remember? You remember the builder. You remember the guy whose dreams came true in making over these homes. Does everyone feel that? It's not even a contest. And this is 
how he says Jesus is compared to even our greatest gospel hero. Here's how he says it in the next verse. Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. Pause there with me. Is he dissing Moses? Is, is, no, not at all. He says Moses was great. He was an incredible servant of the Lord. Did you hear the words in there, though? Moses was. Past tense. He had his 120 years, and it's over. Servant. A servant doesn't run the house. A servant just does what they're told. In God's house. Moses was a servant in God's house. Not over, in. So like we're excited about this new couch, but it's just a part of the house. And we're excited about wonderful bay window, but it's just a part of the house. You and I and Moses, just servants in the house. The last part helps us to, to feel what he's getting at. He's not even just contrasting the office of these two men. He's contrasting their revelations. And what he's saying is that, you can go to the next one, gospel is greater than law. In other words, is the law a good thing? The revelation that came to Moses is a wonderful, beautiful thing. It shows us how to live. But it can never give us the power to get there. The law of God is precious in our sight, but no one is justified by the works of the law. The law was preparing you for, driving you for, readying you for, sending you to the gospel. And so if you stop with Moses, you have stopped short of what Moses was driving you to. If you say, I'm just good with the law, I'm going to make this thing happen because Moses is my guy. I don't need Jesus or the cross or the gospel. You have stopped short of where even Moses wants you to go. It's not just personal, Jesus trumps Moses. It's revelational, gospel fulfills, ends law. And then he ends with these words up here, very simple. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. Do you feel the switch in some of these words up here? We went from was to is. Christ always has been, always will be, is right now building the house. Moses is gone but Jesus endures. Jesus is not a servant. He is a son. He is the one to whom the house belongs. It's his supreme authority in this gospel work belongs only to Christ. He is over the house. Moses ruled while ruling others. He was ruled himself, but Jesus rules all. Moses ruled the church while he was a member of her, but Jesus is the head of the church. He is the one that you most want to be connected to. No one can rival Christ's place in your life. All right, let me hit you with two questions and we'll press this in your soul and then we'll do what, what else we'll do together. So here's number one. Is Christ your only capital H hero. 
is Christ, your only capital H hero. Jesus should be in a category all by himself in your life. The only one we pray to should be Christ. The only one we worship should be Christ. I am not embarrassed to tell you that the one, library, one book in your library that should be read the most and the most worn out is your Bible because your Bible is all about every page, every sentence about Jesus and Christ is unrivaled. I am not embarrassed to tell you that the most important weekly rhythm in your life should be this right here because this is the place where we gather under our head Christ and he ministers to us through his word. Jesus has no rivals. If Seven Mile Road Philly ever begins to conflate a Jay or Binu or Sibi or whoever is a member of the house and leads the house with the head of the house, talk to someone about that. And if it won't be rectified, we give you permission to run down Welsh Road as fast as you can. There is only one capital H hero in the life of this church. It's not Mary, it's not Joseph Smith, it's not Thomas, it's not Peter or Paul, it's not me or Jay, it's Christ, it's Christ. With that in place, then I am safe to press you with the second question, which is, do you have gospel heroes? You saw the lowercase here? Do you have gospel heroes? Some of you have none of them. And I love you, and I would encourage you to go get them. You need them. The Bible compels you to them, and they will be helpful to you. Some of you have heroes, but those heroes don't love Jesus. They don't drive you to love Jesus more deeply. You can absolutely appreciate their work and hold them in high regard in as much as the way that they live accords with the clear teaching of Scripture. But I long for you to be able to answer me immediately in the coming years to say, here are some of my gospel heroes because they make real to me the big hero who is Jesus. All right, let's pray for that together. Father, thanks for your word. Just this simple, simple verses of scripture that we should consider Jesus who is unrivaled. He's the apostle and the high priest of our confession. And he was faithful just like Moses, but in a totally different way as well. That he is the builder of the house, that he is the son over the house. Would you forgive us for getting tripped up and conflating and confusing earthly heroes with your son? Help us not to do that anymore. And would you give us the, the right affection for Christ and the right affection for the other saints who have gone before us. I pray that you would grace everyone in here as they read their Bible to have the heroes of our faith jump out in living color and impact them. But I pray that that impact would be because those heroes make Jesus more beautiful, more glorious, more valuable, more precious in our sight. We know that the day is coming when we will stand before Christ and everyone else will fade, and Christ will shine in his glory. And I want Seven Mile Road Philly so bad to live like that right now. 
So even with the rest of the time we have, I pray that our hearts would be set on considering Jesus, the apostle and the high priest of our confession, and that we would see him unmatched and unrivaled in his glory. Hear my prayer and answer, I pray. Amen. Amen.